Okay, let's take our Bibles and go to the Old Testament, to the book of Judges. One of the first few Bibles, books there in your Bibles. And uh, if you don't have a Bible, uh, there's one on the pew. It should be one near you, and that's our gift to you. Uh, and as you're turning there, we'll begin the book of Judges today. We'll start off in chapter number one. It'll be the first series that we've done since I've been uh, your pastor here with you just right under three years. So we're going to go through an Old Testament book, and it's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, but I would like to report to you this morning that uh, I wasn't here last week, as some of you know. And uh, Dr. Leo Purser from Liberty University, I heard he hit a home run and we appreciate him so much for being here. Amen. Those of you who were able to be here last week, and he always does a good job every time he's with us here at Rocky Mount Baptist. But uh, I was in uh, Hawaii, and uh, some of you have already given me a pretty hard time about suffering for Jesus. And uh, some of you think I was a little bit shady. You're thinking, okay, yeah, you're going over there to preach Jesus at a youth camp. Where? In Hawaii. Yeah, so some of you have, have been able to enjoy that, uh, giving me a hard time. But uh, there are several friends I have from seminary, and uh, they lived there in Hawaii. And this was their, uh, the Maui Baptist Association for the island of Maui, Lanai, and Molokai. They're kind of all together there. They did their annual youth camp, and they asked me to come preach. And uh, I don't take every invitation I get to go preach. I had to turn one down this month for revival. I try to be very respectful of staying here because this is my main responsibility. But um, And I was talking to my friend Jeremy in Hawaii, and he says, can you come to Maui and preach our youth camp? And I said, let me pray about it. Yeah, I can do it. I'm good. I'm good. So, uh, so, so I went there and... Um, We've got the picture here uh, on the board. The camp leader sent me a text message yesterday, and I wrote this down, uh, total for the week. And y'all know, if you're new here with us, we're not uh, what you would call a numbers-driven church. We're a people-loving uh, church, and we are gospel-driven, hopefully, um, if the Lord can just be gracious to us and help us stay that way. We believe that we are right now. But just to give you some encouragement, because many of you prayed for me and you prayed for those kids, uh, there were 51 people who came forward uh, at the invitation at some point during the four nights of preaching. And of those, there were 33 uh, students who either got saved or committed their lives to the Lord. And there were fir- uh, 19 very first-time professions of faith. And so let's just praise the Lord for that. And uh, some of you are still thinking... He went to Hawaii. Let, let me give you a little bit of uh, Ronnie's back. You, you okay, Brother Ronnie? You forgiving me yet? Okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, a lot of us, when we think of Hawaii, we think of Waikiki Beach and Honolulu and Pearl Harbor there on the island of Oahu and the whole tourist industry. Um, talking to my friends, there's actually, the, I didn't know this, but just being friends for years now, they've told me that there's a lot of poverty with the locals um, that are on the islands there. It's a very high cost of living. Um, a lot of broken homes, uh, even more that would be here on the mainland. There's a lot of families that are s- split up, a lot of domestic violence. So most of these kids that were there at the camp, they were all local Hawaii kids there from those three islands. Uh, most of them were very poor. 
a ton of the kids were lost, had not really been around church at all. And in case you haven't noticed in however long you've been alive, Hawaii is not actually the Bible Belt. And so there's just that lack of emphasis that even students here in the South may get from just a random church camp. So um, the first night of the youth camp, I just felt honestly a lot of spiritual warfare. Uh, the Bible talks about that. I felt... Uh, when I was preaching, it was hard to get a lot of stuff out. And some students still came forward, but I talked to the camp leadership and I said, I think we really need to, to up our prayers here. And they said, well, Jeff, in case you didn't know, this area of the island, it was very remote. And I apologize if I've not received your text or your phone call. You, you, you could kind of send a text after you tried about five or six times if you did kind of like the, the karate kid pose and you were in one part of the, the room there. But very limited uh, cell phone access. And they said, this area of the island is overrun with drug growing and drug use and also the uh, pagan religions where they worship dead people. And I'm thinking, okay, all right, well, we're, we are in for a week. So we just really begin to pray. And the second night, uh, I think the Lord really broke through that and students started to come and to seek counsel. And uh, the last night, there were these three young men from the island of Molokai. And if you're not familiar with that, it's only 8,000 people on the whole island. And uh, a lot of the island is on welfare. There's not any industry really at all there. Uh, massive amounts of poverty. In fact, they would call just a blunt. Um, for those of you who don't know, it's like, you know, just the, the marijuana that you would smoke. And they would call that a uh, Hawaii cigarette. So even more than the mainland, and there's plenty of people in Franklin County that smoke weed. Um, but, but there it's absolutely overrun with it. So these three guys, I was talking to them, just rough, tough guys. They would say, you know, Oahu doesn't even sponsor us to come play football there anymore because we never worried about winning. We just wanted to injure people. And I'm thinking, okay, well, well, Jesus needs to do a work here, right? And so just being able to talk with them. Well, these guys came forward uh, in the invitation and were being counseled. They had so many students that were being counseled. They had like two guys uh, for this like a group of 12 young men. And so the camp leader came and got me off the stage as the band was still playing and people were still coming. He said, we need you to come counsel. So I went back there. I noticed these guys are like tough guys, you know, just really, you know, manly dudes. And they're all about 17 years old. And then uh, one of the leaders said, we need to just split up and take, take as many as we can to talk to them about what the Lord's doing in their life. Well, I took these three guys uh, from Molokai and they began to to share uh, what they had been involved in. And I, I brought them through the law to show them the knowledge of sin. And then I said, guys, if it's, your, if it's your desire not just to make a decision for Jesus, but to commit your life to be a follower of Christ, I said, what you need to do is just cry out to God and ask Him to save you. And I'll pray for you after that. So as they bowed their heads, they could barely get themselves under control enough to be able to actually pray. And I don't know if you've ever been that broken at a point in your life, but I believe that when God breaks you, of what you have been and what you have done, it's sometimes difficult even to speak to the Lord. So these guys begin to pray prayers such as, God, I've done so much drugs. I've hurt so many people. I've done so many things that are wrong. Please forgive me. Please come into my life. One of the guys was weeping about the poverty that his family was in, single-parent home, can't do enough to help his mom. He knows that she's suffering. And right after those guys finished praying, the first one who started said, I've got some stuff in my bag that I need to get rid of. I said, what do you have in your bag? He says, I've got some pills and I've got weed. I said, well, you want to go do that right now? He said, yes. And so we got up from the table. The rest of the students were being counseled there. And uh, we began to walk. And he said, Jeff, I almost overdosed today. He says, I took three pills. 
and a very heavy type of uh, stuff he should not have been taking. And so we go back to the, the dorms there, and he's going through his bag, pulling out drug paraphernalia. And I said, well, I'll go dispose of this uh, for you guys. But, you know, and I begin to just try to encourage them to live for Christ. I say, you need to tell your pastor to just confess to him so that he could keep you accountable. And then I realize once I finish talking with them that I have a pocket full of drugs. So kind of like the thing, say, well, we definitely need to have that out of your life. And he gives it to me. So the invitation went on so long, y'all. And thank you for so many of you that prayed for me and for some of you that were just, you know, still jealous. Thank you for praying anyway that was there. And so it went so long, it transitioned into the uh, group talent time afterwards. So I walk in and I take a seat and I motion for the camp director to come over. And he comes and he leans down and I said, I have drugs in my pocket. <laughs> Your pastor. And he's a, he's a funny, crazy guy. We had a great time all week. And he's like, he looked at me kind of like, this, Jeff, this is not the time. Like a lot of kids came forward tonight. This is not the time to be crazy. He's like, what? I'm like, one of the guys from one of the churches, he, 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 he prayed and asked Christ into his life. And, you know, we're trying to do this so kids don't hear that the camp pastor has drugs in his pocket. You know what I'm saying? We're trying to keep it kind of low-key. And then after he finished praying, you know, he, he told me he had stuff he wanted to get rid of. And so I, I took it and, you know, we need to do something with this. And he's like, that is so awesome. So, you know, afterwards, and he had smoked a lot before he got saved. So he was able to tell me what different things were. One thing we weren't exactly sure what it was. But um, but I, I just thought of all the law enforcement people who come to Rocky Mountain Baptist Church. And I said, it would be bad if the Hawaii State Police just decided to raid that camp. And I am up against a wall with one pocket heavier than the other hanging to one side with a pocket full of drugs. But we praise Jesus because the very next morning, that very young man that gave me his stuff stood up before the whole camp and gave testimony about how Christ had changed his life and had come clean with his pastor and wanted to go back and reach his area for Jesus Christ. So thank you all for praying. Amen. And something that stood out to me from that week that really ties into what we're going to talk about this morning is that when Jesus comes into your life and you have unfinished business, which is the title of today's message, you've got stuff that you know shouldn't be there. When Jesus comes and takes control, all of the excuses go out the window. And you say, I've got stuff in my bag that I need to get rid of. So let's go to Judges chapter 1. This is going to begin our series. And if you can pray for me this morning, I'm in a different, I'm not honestly sure what time zone I'm in. Every night I preach at the revival, it was 1.30 a.m. our time, Eastern Standard Time. So traveled all the way back. And so we'll just ask that the Lord would be merciful to me this morning. And we'll just get, get to this text and break it down. But what we're going to do for most of this message is kind of give you a background of the book of Judges so that we'll be able to understand it in context. Um, our main idea is this, and it's there in your worship guide, your bulletin. Uh, We're talking about how to deal with unfinished business. And here's what we're talking about. Unfinished business is an area or an issue in your life that is not under the lordship of Jesus Christ. It could be partial disobedience or partial obedience rather, unconfessed sin, refusal to forgive someone or to make restitution. In other words, what we're talking about this morning is a major theme in the book of Judges. And that is when God calls a group or a family or a man and a woman 
to obey Him. He means to completely obey Him and give everything you are to Jesus Christ. So here's basically what the book of Judges is about. It's about the the time when Israel went into the promised land and God told them to take over the whole area, but because of fear and because they didn't think that they would be able to do what God told them that He would be able to do through them, they didn't fully obey. So it's the time that's like right leading up to the prophet Samuel. It's in between Joshua and the prophet Samuel, for those of you uh, who read your Bibles. And then David obviously came after Samuel. So we're going to go through some points here uh, that's going to outline actually the first three chapters or almost the first three chapters. And most of the time, we just take a small text of Scripture and we try to unpack this. What we're going to do today is kind of give you an, a large overview, like if you took a flyover of the book of Judges so that we'll be able to understand it in context. So we'll just walk through this. Number one, in the book of Judges, Israel became satisfied with partial victories instead of fully obeying God and driving the Canaanites out of the land. We know from our Bibles that the Canaanites were the people who were living in where? In Canaan. And they were to the point that God had said there was a point of no return. God is God and He said payday someday and judgment day for them was when He sent the Israelites into the land. So it was their job to be God's hammer of justice. So we're going to begin there in verse 16. And this is um, speaking of the descendants of Moses' father-in-law, the Kenites. They went up uh, with Judah. They went to take over the area. But what happened was that Judah in verses 17 through 20 in chapter 1, he had, the, the, the tribe of Judah had partial victories with the tribe of Simeon. And in verse 21, the tribe of Benjamin, they also had partial victories. And let me just make a point here. That when God has you to do something in your life, when He tells you and you know you should do it, whatever it may be, it's, maybe it's a step for some of you, you need to get saved today and come forward during the invitation and make your, your commitment to Christ public. For some of you, there's someone, there's relational drama, there's baggage, there's unforgiveness, and Jesus is telling you that you need to forgive them and release them of that. This goes from the beginning of the book of Judges to the end. The very fact that Benjamin did not fully obey God provided, uh, I guess we could say, the environment for sin to fester there. And at the end of the book of Judges, Benjamin had a group of guys in their region uh, who were, I guess we could say, and this is not cussing, hell-bent on gang rape. Heterosexual and homosexual. And it was so bad in that time, it was so twisted and perverted that the other nations of Israel said, give up those guys so that they can have justice uh, brought to them. And Benjamin wouldn't do it. When we make concession with sin and when we refuse to give God what we know that we should give Him, what will happen is that we'll throw off discipline. And do all of us realize that we're in a war Do you realize that? There is a war for your mind. There is a war for your soul. And when you get saved, it is the first time that you can actually fight. 
If you're, if you're sitting here today thinking, Jeff, I've never given my life to Jesus Christ. I'm not a Christian. The Bible says that you are a slave to your sin. It means that you may be able to change some habits. You may be able to stop drinking. You may be able to uh, stop you know, uh, verbally abusing someone in your family. But you can't change who you are. But when you get saved, God raises you up. And He gives you the ability to fight. Now, in the middle of a war, it's not the time to have a picnic, right? Yeah, I mean, I've never seen a picture of World War II, the Vietnam War, Korean conflict, all of that, where you have this battle raging, these guys going at it, I mean, with all sorts of artillery, even hand-to-hand, and then three or four guys over there, and they've got their nice little blanket on the ground with some shrapnel over here and some casings here, and they're just munching down on a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. That's something that bad dreams are made of, and you're the guy having the picnic. That's not reality. So, something that I want us to draw out by way of application is that when God leads you to follow Him, follow Him fully in that area. And also, like in the life of Benjamin, if there's someone in your life who loves you enough to call you out, not in front of other people, not in some way that would embarrass you publicly, but someone who would come to you privately and lovingly and say, there's something in your life that needs to change. I've noticed this. I love you. Can I be there and help you? Please don't push those people away. Amen, church? The fact that someone would love you enough to be able to come to you and say, man, look, I'm not trying to like be nosy or like rat you out or point my fingers down at you or kick you when you're down. But I'm just here and I want to know, is there anything I can do to help? That's what Israel, the rest of the, the tribes tried to do to Benjamin at the end. But Benjamin had become so entrenched in that partial obedience that they resisted the ones who were actually reaching out to them. And then in verses 22 through 26, we see the descendants of Joseph. And the Old Testament actually used diplomacy to settle for the peace. Now, we know, and we don't have time to get into it, but Joseph in the book of Genesis was an extremely diplomatic and wise guy. Right? And we're going to talk about this next week, guys, for, for Father's Day. We're going to talk about how to leave a legacy. I know some of you, you say, Jeff, man, I've been, I've been to church for years. It seems like Mother's Day, we come. And on Mother's Day, no woman ever has sinned at any time. Y'all heard those sermons? Right? Like all dogs go to heaven. Like on Mother's Day, all mothers go to heaven and women don't have a sin nature. And then on Father's Day, it's just like, all right, all you guys here, uh, come down and get on your knees and just smack all of them in the face at one time. And say, sit down, no good men. Like a lot of guys fear Father's Day. In fact, one guy told me in Texas, he says, I don't go to church on Father's Day. This is a dude who was saved. I said, well, why, Mr. Ken, don't you go to church on Father's Day? He says, because every single Father's Day, the men get kicked in the teeth. And every single Mother's Day, the women get told that they don't, they've never sinned before God at all. Guys, next week, Hopefully it's going to be honest, all right? Uh, we're going to talk about how do you, how does God's Word, especially the first 16 verses of the book of Judges, absolutely a fantastic story, guys, on how you leave a legacy in a difficult time for your family and that what Christ has done with you doesn't die with you. So let's go a little bit further and we're going to look at verses 27 through 33. Uh, we don't have time to get into the details, but all of those names that some of you have difficulty pronouncing, they're all here. We've got Asher and Zebulun and Naphtali and Ephraim and Dan and all of these tribes in Israel. 
they all massively compromise and refuse to obey God in the totality. Now, it's very interesting. Um, if you're taking notes, why don't you write down these verses? This will be something great to study a little bit later. Verses 29, 30, 31, and 33. There is the phrase in your Bibles that the Israelites and the Canaanites, they lived among them. They lived among them. When God told them they should go in and they should give justice to the people groups that were there. And let me just make a note here for those of you that are thinkers that have uh, heard someone say that the God of the Bible is a God who endorses genocide. Um, that is not the case at all. There's a great article. If you want to write this down, you can go Google it. Um, it's called... We don't hate sin, so we don't understand what happened to uh, the Canaanites by Clay Jones. It's an absolutely fantastic article, and here's the gist of it. It says, because in American society, we see no problem with things uh, such as uh, abortion, uh, things such as homosexuality, things such as people who are engaging in heterosexual acts that should only be for married couples. If it makes you happy, then do it. The premise is, is today in American culture, when we read the Old Testament, the, the, the brokenness of God and His anger toward these sins, child sacrifice and so forth, that we don't even understand it because we're totally okay with those sins. Y'all alright? The point is that we have inoculated ourselves against biblical, Jesus-centered, Christ-glorifying morality. So I just want to put that rock in your shoe if you come to, oh, I can't read the Old Testament. They get, no, no, no. It's not that way at all. What we have to do is to turn around and face ourselves in our own culture and ask, am I biased? Right? Not as the Bible biased, but am I biased based upon my culture that really sees no problem with anything as long as it makes you happy? And just a little news flash: the point of life is not Happiness. The point of marriage is not happiness. And I've had married friends tell me over and over again, that is true. Now, if you're married here this morning, it may be good at this point just, and your spouse is here just to keep looking ahead because you will get in trouble if you do like an amen at that point. But you see, the world tells us that you find stuff and you find people to make you happy. The point of the book of Judges is that we are a set-apart people and God has saved us to do what He has called us to do. Now here's the point here with that phrase that I told you to write down. When the Canaanites lived among the people. Do you realize that when we allow sin to remain and live and take place in our everyday lives, it's setting the, I guess we could say it's setting the stage for catastrophe. When we allow sin in our lives, just like the Israelites allowed those people groups who would later influence them to do things such as burn their own children's children alive. It's crazy stuff. And just a news flash as well, the Bible is not safe for the whole family. It's real. It's real. I'd encourage you, wherever the Lord shows you, maybe it's an area of fear in your life. You say, I can't. That's exactly what the people said here. They said, we can't, but God can't. Give that to the Lord and follow Him fully. So not only did Israel become satisfied with just partial victories, um, what happened is that God judged the Israelites for their disobedience in handling what God had told them to do. Go with me to chapter 2, and you can write this down just in verses 1 through 4, or 1, 1 through 5 rather. 
the angel of the Lord shows up. And if you've read your Old Testament carefully, you know the angel of the Lord, whenever the angel of the Lord shows up, there's going to be big blessings or there's going to be devastating uh, destruction and judgment. What God basically does is He rebukes the people and He says there uh, in verse um, number 1, I will never break My covenant with you and you shall make no covenant with the inhabitants of this land. You shall break down their altars, but you have not obeyed My voice what is this you have done? So God comes and confronts the people. It says, I, I brought you out of Egypt. I gave you a place. I gave you a job. I gave you a duty. And yet you have totally forsaken that. Now, I want you to think with me this morning of the contrast between God bringing the Israelites out of where? Out of brutal, horrific slavery in Egypt. And He brought them to this place. But yet, even as far as God had brought them, they made allowance for sin to stay in their lives. Let's talk just a moment honestly, straightforwardly. Those of us who have been saved and we're following Jesus Christ, there is a war that we have to wage each and every single day so that sin does not creep back. Do you remember what um, the Lord told Cain? Cain and Abel in the beginning, He says, Cain, sin crouches at the door and its desire is to master you. Do you realize that when you get saved, Jesus Christ gives you the ability, He gives you the ultimate victory? But Satan wants to make your life an absolute wreck. Satan wants to make your life a joke. And so the point of the book of Judges here is that we should never make allowance for sin in our life. You say, Jeff, are you telling me that I should be perfect? No, listen, the Bible tells us that we're never going to achieve perfection. But you say, well, then how am I supposed to deal with my sin? Like, Jeff, I got saved several months ago or a year ago or 15 years ago or 55 years ago. How do I deal with my sin? Well, there's two ways that you can deal with it. First John says, we can say that we have no sin and we make God a liar. If there's anybody who tells you that they have no sin, they're probably the leader of a cult. Seriously, that, that's the way that stuff works. They, they convince people that they're perfect and that people do what they do, they'll be on their way to perfection as well. So number one, we can, we, we can, can deny that we have sin. But secondly, 1 John chapter 1, verse 9 says that if we confess our sins, He is faithful to forgive us of our sins and help me out church, to cleanse us from how much unrighteousness? All unrighteousness. So we can either deny that we need God or admit that we need God and be cleansed. And just another note here. Uh, Joshua and Caleb, two of the greatest warriors in the Old Testament, were the leaders here. But yet, when their generation passed, the next generation epically failed. So that leads us to the, ne the next point here in verses 6-15 through 15 of chapter 2. And that Israel's incomplete obedience resulted in total rebellion and apostasy within one generation. Check this out. If you make a note there, in verse number 6, it says, When Joshua dismissed the people, the people of Israel each went to his inheritance to take possession of the land. And it speaks of, in verse number 6, Joshua died when he was 110 years old. So maybe he ate his Wheaties every day. That's a long time to be living and serving the Lord. But then it says in verse 11, And the people... Actually, verse 10, rather. And all that generation were also gathered to their fathers, and there arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord or the work that He had done for Israel. You see, what happened here is not much unlike 
happened, what happened in the United States. They were not, it depends on how the sociologists cut this with a knife, but if you can go back a couple of generations ago, there was much more, I guess, culturally, uh, a belief in the Bible. Uh, more people would claim to believe in Jesus Christ. And somehow, for some reason, we're going to try to build reasons into that and come to the end of the series and talk about um, morality and how the Bible uh, interacts, how society should work together. But this is very interesting that there was a break in generations and the generation right under Joshua and Caleb went into total apostasy with just in one generation. You say, what kind of apostasy, Jeff? Well, they were sacrificing their children to pagan gods. They were, and if this is too honest for you, this is in the Bible, alright? Y'all okay? Some people want to come to church and never hear anything. The Bible's real. They were sacrificing their little children, their little babies alive. They were engaging in immorality of large groups. They were engaging in things that involved self-mutilation and torture. It was a horrific, terrible thing. So when you read the Old Testament and you see God's wrath against sin, it's God is up here seeing these people basically uh, torture their children and give them up. There's a guy I talked to uh, probably about a year ago, just went out visiting. And um, uh, this guy had, had not, not been to, to our church, not been in any church in a long time. And I told him who I was and was there to basically share the gospel. And this guy who was in his mid-50s at least, immediately when I brought up Jesus, tears came to his eyes. And I said, have you ever thought about being saved? And he said, Yes. He says, when I was 16 years old, I was in a revival meeting, revival service. He said, and I knew when the invitation was given that I should give my heart to Jesus Christ. He says, but I stayed and I resisted. Unfinished business. And here he was, much later in life, still away from the Lord. You see, when we harbor sin, when we refuse to give God total and full obedience, it provides the recipe for future disaster. So what does God do in the book of Judges? Well, He raises raises up judges, which are basically like Israelite warlords. And then in uh, chapter 3, verses 1 through 6, you can read this um, later. It's the full integration of Israelite and Canaanite society. Absolute and total depravity. The culture was absolutely on the rocks. In verse 6 of chapter 3, it says, And their daughters they took to themselves for wives, and their own daughters they gave to their sons, and they served their gods. Newsflash again, whoever you marry, whoever you are in a relationship with, will affect your walk with Jesus Christ for the better or for the worse. You say, now Jeff, I got married... When I wasn't saved. I love Jesus today, but my husband or wife is still unsaved. You don't leave them. You pray for them. You don't beat them over the head with your Bible. You, especially if you're a lady here and your husband doesn't know Jesus. Go read First uh, Peter chapter 3, verses 1-7. through 7, Where it says that the way that you reach your husband is through loving him and showing him that God has changed your life. Being merciful and having that gentle and quiet spirit. Ladies, that doesn't mean that you don't have a mind or a brain or an opinion, but it means that God has so transformed your life that it is through that soft, gentle touch of the Holy Spirit, through your words and through your actions, how you love your husband and your family, he will see that you're different. 
But I just want to encourage, especially our young graduates, our students, would you say this with me, church, as well, for them to be very, very careful about who they pursue for marriage or who they're pursued by. Amen? For those of us that are older, I've seen in my short life so many people, and it's just one of these things like, Jeff, you know, he's got a, he's got a good heart. He's got, he's, you know, deep, deep down, he's got a good heart. Once you get through the fact that he cusses at his mom, once you get through the fact that he can't keep a job, once you get past all of those relational awkwardness things, uh, he, he, no, no, ladies, the two questions that you have for a guy, the two J's help me out, the first one is a job, right girls? Do you have a job that you can provide for me? And secondly, do you love Jesus? If he's got those two, then he's able to talk with your dad. Maybe we can work something out. And dad, after he finishes cleaning his Smith & Wesson and spinning the cylinder and sitting on the table with a lot of meat that he's just carved with a large knife, maybe we can talk. Right, ladies? So what we're saying here is that we need to be, for those of us who are not yet married, in fact, um, and y'all have been very gracious with me. Uh, I'm a single pastor. It's kind of a rare breed. Um, there, there can be some awkward situations where people, you know, I've, I've got somebody I want you to meet. And every time I'm like, Jesus, help me. Because, because sometimes if somebody already has it in your mind that you're supposed to marry this person, you know, it's just like, this, she's, she's great. She's great. She just needs somebody to bail her out, you know, of the jail. And so, okay. I mean, Jesus, Jesus, hey, Jesus can, can minister to that or she needs somebody to help her to stop. Drinking. I was like, Jesus can help with that. I, I can't, you know. And so it's just, just those types of things. But I think we need to be very careful, uh, those of us who are not yet uh, married, to, to look for someone who would point us to Christ. Because Tony Evans, awesome preacher, he explained it this way. If you're single here or if you're single again, I want this thought to stick in your mind. He said, how in the world would it ever work with that person who's not saved when you're going up and where they're going down. Y'all catch that? How is the marriage going to stay together if you're going up and they're going down? If you're here today and you're just getting your life right with Jesus, you ground your marriage, you get saved, your wife gets saved, or vice versa, and then the marriage can actually work. So here's the cycle in the book of Judges that may not be much unlike our cycle in our lives. There is rebellion and disobedience against God. Then God allows the foreign nations or sin to come in and oppress the people. Basically give them what they want. And once they get what they want, they realize that it's not what they need. Then they cry out to God. God sends a deliverer, delivers them. They do well. And then when things go well, they fall right back into sin. Can any of y'all identify with that in your life? There's been an area of disobedience. You get The produce and the harvest of what you have sown in the ground. You cry out to God. He's gracious and merciful. He delivers you. Things begin to go good. You forget about God. Sundays get full. Forsake church. Don't go to Sunday school in the middle of the week. Say, I don't have time to read my Bible. Tell people about Jesus. And all of a sudden, things come to a screeching halt. And the bottom falls out. And you hit your name. You hit your knees and you say, God, please help me. He loves you. He helps you. He brings you back. You get involved in the life of the church. You forgive people. You begin to support missions and then everything's going good and then you forget about it and then the vicious cycle continues that's the book of judges so here's the thing and this is in your notes judges 21 25 and also in chapter 17 verse 6 here is the theme of the book in those days there was no king in israel and everyone did what was right in his own eyes that is modern day america and it's expressed this way that's your truth That's your truth. 
My truth is my truth. If it makes you feel good, then you can do it. So here's the way we're supposed to understand this concept of unfinished business. Number one is that if we allow unfinished business in our life, it creates an environment for low expectations and compromise. Just like when I was a kid, we played basketball on these little six-foot goals. But then when we got into eighth grade, we played on the eight-and-a-half-foot goals. And in high school, we placed on, played on the ten-foot goals. So when we grow in Jesus Christ, we need to go further and love Him more instead of being satisfied with a low expectation. Secondly, unfinished business in your life will create the environment or a certainty of future catastrophe, it will feed what will destroy you. You say, Jeff, it's just a little, it's just a little thing. I don't get drunk that often. It's, you know, not, not that often. It's not that big of a deal. I do it at home. Just a little porn once in a while. I don't lose my temper that much, you know, like maybe twice a week with my wife. Give you an example of how dangerous those quote unquote little things are if we don't deal with them. 2010, there's a man in Canada named Norman Buwalda who had a, um, a 600 plus pound Siberian tiger that was his pet. This is a guy who had really campaigned for people being able to keep large animals like that. And he didn't show up where he needed to be. And guess what they found? He had been mauled to death by his own pet tiger. You cannot control sin. It has a wild side and it will destroy you. So the point of the Bible, you're saying, hold on, Jeff, it sounds like you're saying I got... No, no, no. You're not saying you try to be perfect. You have to admit that you can't be perfect. The people in the book of Judges had to admit that they couldn't do that, but God could do it through them. So what happens if we don't deal with this is it will create a wedge between your family... It will create a wedge between this generational gap that we call it. And I praise God that in Rocky Mount Baptist Church, there's the gospel and there is no generational gap with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen? It bridges every gap. So the way that we deal with this unfinished business is threefold and I'll give them to you very quickly here. You say, Jeff, there is an area in my life that needs to have God finish the business. It is that you learn a lifestyle of genuine repentance. Never be satisfied with partial obedience and never try to look for excuses for disobedience. Secondly, we should love the giver more than the gift. We should should, uh, resist the urge to desire God's blessings instead of God Himself. And finally, we need to leave a legacy and don't let God's work die with you. Some of you, God has blessed you with children. What an amazing blessing. Those of you that are grandparents, you know that God's blessing to you is those grandkids for not murdering your own kids when they were teenagers, right? You've been blessed. Next week, we're going to break that down in detail of how when we deal with unfinished business, that allows the platform for you guys especially to be able to leave a legacy to your family that will outlive, uh, obviously, when you pass away and go to be with the Lord. So this is our time of invitation. If you could with me, just bow your heads and close your eyes so that we won't be distracted. And this is our commitment time. We, we do this at the end of every service. Is our commitment time for those, number one, and you know that you need God in your life. You don't need religion. You don't need to have some uh, religious thing happen to you or do something good, you, you need to surrender control of your life to Jesus Christ right now. You know that you need to turn from your sin, 
Repent of it and ask God to take over every aspect of you. In this moment right now, just give your life to Him. Say, God, take me, forgive me. Save my soul, Jesus. What we're going to do in here in just a few moments is we're going to stand to our feet and sing. And when we do that, we, we give people the opportunity to make their commitment, not just a decision, because we decide where to go eat, lunch after church, but, but a commitment. It's your opportunity to make that public before people. When we begin to sing here in just a few moments, there are others of you that you have unfinished business in your life. Why don't you just come and pray here by the altar and say, Lord, there is an area that you have pointed out to me. You've saved me, yes. I'm going to heaven, yes. I know I'm born again, yes. But there is this thing, even if it's small in the world's eyes, Lord, I don't want anything to separate the closeness that I have with you. And some of you, you've been saved. It's not so much that you fear God's hand of judgment coming on you. You don't want His blessing, His hand of blessing and love and closeness to be removed. So, so why don't you just come, even if it's something small, just by way of, of humility, say, God, I'm asking you to take away what shouldn't be there and to finish that business of obedience. There are some of you that need, that need to come pray for someone that you know that's struggling with an addiction like those three boys, they, they say, Jeff, there's something in my bag that I need to get rid of. You have friends like that. Why don't you come pray for them? And if you know that you need to be baptized, why don't you come? Or if you're here to, and you know that God has led you to join this church, you've been saved, you've been baptized, but this is where, the, this is where you need to be. And the Holy Spirit has shown you that. We ask you to come. Please don't put off what God is leading you to do. Lord Jesus, this is your invitation. We just ask that you would strongly draw the ones that need to make decisions or commitments and uh, the ones who've been saved. Father, we ask that you would give them the strength and the courage to come and not be ashamed of Jesus when we begin to sing for them to come. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.